This is episode 266 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are The Top 20 Prepping Mistakes to Avoid, Hardtack Recipe, The Survival Bread That Lasts a Lifetime, and Conflicted, First Moves After the EMP, What Would You Do? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Everyone, welcome to episode 266. Hey, just a couple of things before we get started. Hey, I did receive a review on iTunes. Now, here's the deal. It's not on the American uh, version of iTunes. It's on the Turkish iTunes, right? And uh, I was a little disappointed on this one. Uh, because again, like I said, you're not going to see this on the American version. You would have to go to the Turkish Turkish version. I see it because I get to uh, I get to see all of them filtered down into my podcast host hosting dashboard or whatever. And uh, but anyway, I was a little disappointed in this one because it says uh, access from Turkey was disabled to your website by admin. So disappointed, and they gave me a one star review. And so I'm like, okay, I don't understand why, you know, why you have a problem accessing, uh, you know, the. and so here's the other thing. I'm not clear. Are you talking about Prepper website? You can't access Prepper website or you can't access the Prepper website podcast uh, from Turkey. I, I don't know. But here, l- let me just, if, if you happen to be listening, uh, this, so this guy, um, MHB, uh, if you happen to be listening from Turkey, I just want to let you know that I do not disable any countries from being able to view websites or podcasts or anything like that. Um, that might have been your uh, your country doing that. Why would I want to, uh, you know, not allow anybody to be able to to come in and, and see the the website or hear the podcast and stuff like that? I mean, I want more people to be able to listen to it. So that doesn't really kind of make sense, right? Uh, I think it would have been. Uh, more helpful if you would have contacted me and said, "Hey Todd, I can't get to your podcast or I can't get to your website anymore. Uh, you know, it's been disabled. You know, what's going on?" And I would have been able to, you know, maybe help you, maybe help you find a way around it or whatever. Um, you know, I'm all over social media. Um, you know, you can email me. There's so many different ways you can get a hold of me. So that's uh, so, so. I just want to like that's like uncool, man, right? To to leave a, a review and to, to be upset because you can't access it. It's like that's not something that you know that I did. So anyway, uh, I'm curious about why you can't access it anymore. But uh, you know, I wish that uh, you would have contacted me first, and uh, I would have been able to help you. Uh, you know, I, I try to be very helpful in, in those uh, in those occasions. All right. Um, besides that, guys, I like to remind you that on Thursdays um, I go live on Facebook, and so I welcome you to come join me at eight o'clock Central Standard Time for my favorite article of the week. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Our first article of the podcast comes to us from UrbanSurvivalSite.com, and the article is entitled "Top 20 Prepping Mistakes to Avoid." And so, uh, you know, this is always a good article, a good type of article to read. I know that there's a lot of new preppers, as well as as a lot of experienced preppers, and sometimes it's good for us to revisit some of these uh, some of these mistakes to avoid, right? Uh, to be able to learn from other people's mistakes, but also uh, to reflect a little bit on the fact that we've probably made a lot of these mistakes as well. So let's go ahead and get started. 
With the abundance of bad information out there and the overwhelming amount you need to learn, it's easy for new preppers to make a lot of mistakes. I've made many mistakes myself and I'm sure I'll make more, but that's part of the learning process. To help you speed up this process, here are some common prepping mistakes you'll want to avoid in no particular order. Number one, not having a survival library. Books are less common these days because we do so much reading on the internet and Kindles, but if the power goes out, having a good collection of survival books could save your life. They'll give you something to read when you're bored and good survival references have important instructions on things like purifying water, building fires, and medical care. While you'll want to learn as much as this, of this information as you can ahead of time, no one can know everything and there are bound to be times when a survival library will come in handy. Check out my list of the top 100 survival books for suggestions. And so I will, I will tell you that there are a lot of links here in this article. Uh, I, will, uh, I will point them out, but you probably want to visit this one and, and link to a lot of these here. Um, we talked about survival books this week already, so I'm not really going to talk too much about that. But you know, one, one of the things in, in preparedness is that we want to try to learn, know everything or we want to have all the knowledge. And again, like I said earlier this week, you're not going to be able to have all of the knowledge, even in book form. At some point, you're going to have to rely on other people and uh, you know, you're going to have to uh, try to figure things out. That's why it's so important to be able to uh, think critically. All right, so our next one, uh, number two, is focusing on supplies instead of skills. Of course, just because you have all the best books on survival doesn't mean you shouldn't bother to learn survival skills. It's possible your books will be destroyed or you won't be able to get to them. The same rule applies to your survival food and gear. What if you're at work when your home is destroyed by an explosion, earthquake, or some other disastrous event? Would you still have the skills to survive, or are you completely dependent on your food and gear? Number three, not having enough water preps. I cannot overemphasize the importance of water. There are many survivalists who have six months of food and only two weeks of water on hand. Considering that you can survive without food about 10 times as long as you can survive without water, you'd be better off with two weeks of food and six months of water. Don't do that either, but at least make sure your water will last as long as your food. If you don't have enough room, there are many ways to collect and purify water. So again, remember guys, lots of links in here. Water is a big deal, and so we talk about that all the time. You know, at least get a mini Sawyer water filter. Get a couple of those. Um, that will uh, last you uh, a lot. You'll be able to filter a lot. Number four is not storing a large variety of foods. Too many new preppers buy nothing but rice, beans, flour, salt, and sugar. If that's all you have to eat after a disaster, you're going to be miserable. Your body will have trouble adjusting to the near bare bones diet and you'll suffer from food fatigue where your survival food won't be appetizing even when you're very hungry. Make sure you buy the ingredients for a variety of possible meals so you'll feel satisfied every time you eat. This leads to my next point. All right, uh, so I, I do, I, I just don't know, man. I, I do understand. I mean, you, you should, if you're building a food pantry, you need to have different types of food in there, right? But I, I don't always, I don't buy the food fatigue thing. I mean, I know it would suck, but I don't, I don't think that, I would go hungry, right? I would like, forget it. I don't want to eat because I have food fatigue. Uh, you know, if you have anybody who is starving and you come on anybody who is starving, they're going to get, you're going to, they're going to eat whatever you give them, 
right? And so people go out into the woods and they're starving and they eat bugs and stuff like that to be able to survive. So I don't know. I don't know about that food fatigue. I'm not uh, one that's completely sold on that, right? But anyway, that's uh, that's just my two cents there. Uh, Number five is not eating what you store. This was the first mistake I made when I started stocking up on food. I bought all kinds of survival food, dehydrated, freeze-dried, flour, sugar, etc. Sealed it up, put it in the closet, and forgot about it. When I finally got around to eating some of it, I realized I absolutely hated it, especially the freeze-dried stuff. That's why it's a good idea to buy samples from various food storage companies until you find foods you like. Then regularly eat that food as you rotate through. See number 18 below. I do agree with this one, that if you're going to buy like survival type food, buy their sampler packages first and, and try some of them and make sure that you can go ahead and eat. Don't go, don't go crazy and buy $500 to $1,000 worth of food and you've never tried it before. So that's a, a great piece of advice there. Number six, not having enough vitamins. Personally, I think everyone should be taking multivitamins since most modern diets don't provide the nutrition we need. But this will be even more important in a survival situation. The stress of having your life turned upside down, constant threats to you and your family, and manual labor will take a lot of energy and tax your immune system. Vitamins will help keep keep you strong and healthy, especially vitamin C. Number seven, relying only on food storage. While the last few points have been about food, don't forget all your other survival needs. When most people think about prepping, the first things they think about are food and water, and they proceed to stock up on them while neglecting first aid supplies, bug out bags, cooking implements, weapons, and other important items. While food should be your first priority, don't forget your other priorities. Number eight, relying only on an arsenal. At the other end of the spectrum, there are some preppers who focus all their attention on guns and ammo. The reasoning is that not only will they be able to protect themselves, they'll be able to hunt their food and trade ammo for other supplies. This is unrealistic, especially if you're in or near a city. The little bit of wildlife in your area will be picked clean by others and most people won't be interested in your ammo as they, like you, will be looking to trade for food and other vital supplies. By all means, get a few survival guns, but don't go overboard. Number nine, not taking care of pets. As much as we all love our pets for some reason, it's easy to forget about them and their needs in an emergency as well. Animals require more than just food and water. Put together a pet survival kit and maybe a bug out bag for your dog and or cat. Number 10. Planning on bugging out no matter what. Although having a bug out bag and vehicle survival kit is important, there are many circumstances where you'd better off sheltering in place. It just depends. Unless you have advanced warning of a disaster, it will be very difficult to get from your home to your bug out location. The streets will be congested, roads and entire areas could be inaccessible, and gas could become unavailable. That's why I think it's so important to be ready to shelter in place, which means having plenty of home security measures. So another good piece of advice is is uh, when you're thinking about this and bugging out and stuff, you really have to look at the exits out of your uh, the roads out of your city. You know how many how many do you have? Can you do you know uh, a way that you could bypass traffic? Uh, just you know, thinking back to the hurricanes that we have here, our freeways turn into parking lots, and so you know uh, somebody recently 
sent me a guest post. I, I put that up on Prepper website. Um, and it wasn't recently. It's probably about a year old now. But uh, exactly on you know this topic right here. And uh, it was very well put together, very well done. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to uh, edthatmatters.com and then just search bug out and it'll come up. Number 11 is not preparing your family. This one is huge. There are a lot of preppers out there who do all the work and practice but leave nothing but for, for their families to do. This puts the family at a disadvantage because only one family member knows what to do in the event of a disaster, meaning that if anything happens to that person, the rest of the family will be in trouble. You don't have to force everyone else in your family to be as into prepping as you are, but you should at least build bug out bags for the family, make sure they know the importance of prepping, and teach them some basic techniques and skills. Here's how to talk to a non-prepper spouse. You know, that's, it's easier said than done because I know that I've heard from a lot of you uh, throughout the years, or throughout a lot of preppers who are just prepping on their own and their, sp- their spouse is not for it. Their family you know, could care less. And so they feel like they're all, you know, all alone, completely all alone. And so uh, I understand that, you know, trying to build it in slowly, trying to talk about it. I mean, that's we've had uh, we've done articles on that before on the podcast where, you you know, you try to help people to understand the importance of preparing and that not that you're some whack job, you know, and you're some crazy person waiting for the end of the world. Number 12 is preparing too fast. It's perfectly understandable if you're excited to prep and trying to buy as much of your stockpile as you can all at once. You may also feel you're running out of time before a potential disaster strikes and need to prepare now. In reality, prepping too fast can cost you a lot of money, make you less organized, and cause you to make even more mistakes. Instead, make a prioritized checklist and then strive to cross off the things on that checklist in order. We talk about that all the time, making a plan. Number 13, buying gear without researching first. There's a ton of information and product reviews on all types of survival gear and equipment. The last thing you want to do is buy something without first consulting that information. If you do, you're liable to get something that breaks the first time you try to use it. This means you should thoroughly research a product before buying it. Read product reviews online, watch video reviews, and scan reviews from customers on sites such as Amazon to get a general idea of the quality of the product. Guys, if I ever buy anything on Amazon, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am looking at tons of reviews, and I normally, you know, I'm looking for the the high number of stars and uh, a lot of reviews. And if there's negative reviews, I go and read those. And sometimes, if it's really negative, I'll click on the person. Uh, you know, and, and go read other reviews that they've done. Sometimes they're just <laughs> sometimes they're just a negative person, right? It seems like every review they do is negative, and so you got to take that into account too. But when you when you go buy a product, especially on Amazon, and you know Amazon's turning into a big beast, you know that's something to consider. But uh, when when you buy something off of Amazon, when it has you know over a hundred, two hundred, three hundred stars. Uh, or 300 reviews and, and, you know, four stars. I mean, that's usually going to be a really good product, right? So uh, that's one way you can look at it. Number 14, not testing out your gear and equipment. This one goes hand in hand with prepping too fast. Make sure you know how to use each and every piece of survival gear and equipment you buy. Learn how to use it for each of the tasks it's intended for. Learn how to disassemble and reassemble it if possible. And actually read the manual. 
This is the only way to make sure your gear will work before you use it in a real-life disaster scenario. Number 15. Only preparing for one type of disaster. While you may feel there is one type of disaster that is a more imminent threat than others, disaster preparedness is all about preparing yourself and your family for anything that could happen. If you want to prepare for the disaster you feel is the greatest threat first, that's fine. But only preparing for the disaster and nothing else is foolish. No one knows the future and oftentimes the most unexpected things are what happens first. You know, amen to that right there. You know, you want to make sure that you you prepare, but, you know, prepare for some of the things that are most uh, probable that, that could happen in your life, like a job loss, you know, like the lights going out. And when I mean lights going out, I mean like a, you know, like a blackout, right? Not like an EMP, um, you know, prep you know, your vehicle, you know, make sure that your, your, uh, your tires are good and, and, you know, home security, that, that type of stuff. Start out that way instead of going for the big, you know, uh, you know, solar EMP, CME, EMP, volcano, volcano going up and destroying the world and we're all going underground. All right. Number 16, telling the world you're a prepper. When the going gets tough, people do desperate things to stay alive. This means even the neighbors who you thought you could trust may turn on you in a disaster scenario, especially if they know you have a stockpile of food and water. The only people who should know you're a prepper are your family and close-knit group of friends. Telling everyone you meet that you're a prepper will come back to haunt you when disaster strikes. By the way, here's a what to do if people find out you're a prepper. Number 17, not having enough backup plans. There's an old saying that nothing goes according to plan. This will never be any truer than in a survival or disaster scenario. Thought you could bug in? Nope. It turns out your home is in the path of a wildfire that is headed your way. Thought you could take your favorite route out of town? Nope, the road is blocked. Thought you could rendezvous at your bug out location? Nope, a dangerous group of people got there first. Thought you had enough food and water to live on? Nope, the, the disaster lasted too long and you're out of supplies. So yeah, uh, you need to definitely have uh, backup plans. I just I love uh, just reading it that way. That's kind of funny. I could go on and on. Nothing will go according to plan when disaster strikes. And that's why you don't just need a backup plan. You need multiple backup plans and backup gear for that matter. So, uh, yeah, Murphy's Law will, Murphy will come visit you, definitely. Number 18, not rotating your food and water. Many people like to buy lots of survival food, stick it in the pantry, and call it a day. That's great and all, but eventually that food is going to go bad. Imagine a disaster has struck, the grocery store shelves are empty, your entire family is hungry, and all you have in the pantry is old, rotten, infested food. That's why it's so important to rotate your food and water on a regular basis so you know you always have uncontaminated, high-quality food and water on your shelves. Number 19. Forgetting about sanitation and personal hygiene. And this is a big one right here, guys. Many people don't realize it, but sanitation standards are going to drop significantly if the SHTF. Sure, you might have all of the food, water, firearms, and ammunition that you need to outlast the, the disaster, but if you get sick or infected as a result of the poor sanitation, none of those other preps are going to matter. Remember, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You need a complete first aid kit in your preps in addition to basic personal hygiene products such as soap, shampoo, toothpaste, toilet paper, and so on. Number 20. Keeping all of your preps in one place. Another old saying is to never keep all your eggs in one basket. 
when it comes to prepping. This means you should never keep all of your preps in the same location. Diversify where you keep everything. Keep some of your supplies at home. Some of it in your car, in a shed out back, in a garage, in the city, at the bug out location, in survival caches, and so forth. This way, you'll be able to access at least part of your total stockpile regardless of where you are when the disaster hits. Don't beat yourself up if you make a few mistakes. We all do. But take time to learn from the mistakes of others in order to make your prepping journey as smooth as possible. If you want to learn more, check out these prepper tips I wish I'd heard before I started prepping. All right, so a good little list there about uh, making sure that you don't make these mistakes. And if you have made mistakes before, it's all right. We all have. And if you've made a mistake that I didn't read here or that wasn't in this article, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, Even if you want to do it anonymously, you can come over to episode 266 and drop it in the comments. And, uh, you know, I will uh, be happy to read it on uh, on the podcast in the future and share that with other people so that they can learn uh, from, you know, from that failure as well. So, uh, you know, it it takes a a big person to admit that they were wrong, but it takes an even bigger person to learn from that mistake and, and, you know, adjust to it and uh, and to learn from it and and get it right the next time. All right. So, again, that's over at UrbanSurvivalSite.com. Our next article comes to us from SkilledSurvival.com. And this one's called Hardtack Recipe, the Survival Bread that Lasts a Lifetime. You know, we were also talking about food storage uh, earlier this week. And one of the things that, that always comes up is, okay, hey, what do you, uh, how do you want to, you know, store food, whatever, canned food, all that kind of stuff. Well, making hardtack is one of the ways that you can, uh, you know, have a food storage and you can add to your food storage and hardtack will last a long, long time. And so uh, if you've never heard of hardtack, we're going to talk about it here and, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have the recipe and so you can go make it and try it out for yourself and then you know you can make a few batches here and there and just start adding to your stockpile and uh, you'll have uh, you know some survival bread uh, for the future if you if you need it so uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one maybe you already know what hardtack is and you're searching for the best step-by-step survival hardtack recipe a hardtack recipe that will last many decades or maybe you've just recently heard the term hardtack and want to learn more about this incredible survival bread. Either way, this article has got you covered. Today we're going to discuss hardtack and show you how to make hardtack at home, plus a few bonus survival foods as well. What is hardtack? A brief history, hardtack recipe, the ingredient list, how to make hardtack at home, pemmican, hardtack's meat alternative, and a bonus, Anzac biscuits recipe. So what is hardtack? A brief history. When it comes to survival rations, you have to hand it to the crews on old-fashioned sailing ships. They proved invention is the mother of necessity. For thousands of years, when currents and wind were a ship's only means of propulsion, it took months to cross the high seas. And yet, nearly every corner of the world was explored and mapped by the end of the golden age of sailing. These sailors endured long voyages that would regularly last months without a harbor. Sometimes it was years before returning back to their home port. These long trips required food stores that could last for long periods out at sea. Voyaging long distances meant limited opportunities to resupply. Remember, this is before refrigeration and canned foods. So, one of the staple foods on these ships was a simple, dense, hard survival bread called hardtack. 
a survival biscuit made with three simple ingredients, flour, water, and salt. Hardtack is a solid survival bread that held up well to rough transport and kept nearly indefinitely. Since it was both inexpensive and nearly indestructible, this hard biscuit often made up the majority of a sailor's rations. In fact, in 1588, the British Royal Navy provided each sailor one pound of hardtack biscuits and a gallon of beer per day. Obviously, this biscuit was a shipboard staple. It became such a widespread staple, different ports had unique names for hardtack such as cabin bread, sea biscuits, survival bread, or ship biscuits. Entire industries sprang up in ports to support the resupply of ships with more of this hearty stuff. Now, if the recipe of flour, water, and salt sounds bland, you're in good company. When a ship's cook wasn't within earshot, sailors often called it dog biscuits, molar breakers, or sheet iron. Traditional hardtack is immensely hard. Why? Because you bake it, leave it out to dry, and store it with moisture-absorbing desiccants to prevent spoilage. Each of these steps removes all moisture, making it difficult to bite and chew in its raw form. Often, you must soften it to make safe chewing possible. However, there were many methods to soften the hard biscuits, including soaking them in coffee, drowning them in beer, frying them with oil to make a hardtack pancake, pounding them into crumbs with a rifle butt, and stirring them into a soup, which both thickened the soup and softened the crumbs. Pretty resourceful, I'd say. While soaking them in coffee is still popular, many people choose to eat them like toast by adding syrup or jam, providing a sweet and calorie-dense snack. Of course, with only three ingredients, you can easily learn how to make hardtack at home for yourself. Many of the commercial recipes use additional ingredients. This is an attempt to improve the texture and the taste, but these additions reduce the shelf life. There are many recipe variations for homemade hardtack, but these homemade recipes are optimized for rapid consumption instead of prolonged storage. Common commercial additions are sugar, honey, spices, powdered milk or eggs, and even oil and butter. However, these hardtack recipes are best kept refrigerated since the additional ingredients com compromise the shelf life, especially oil and butter which will go rancid quickly if left unrefrigerated. If your ultimate goal is to store some survival calories for years to come, I recommend sticking to the three basic ingredients. With such a long history and a foolproof inexpensive hardtack recipe, it's no wonder it remains popular today. It's become a food staple for homesteaders, survivalists, and preppers alike. So the hardtack recipe, and here's the ingredients list. You can make hardtacks with any flour you so choose. Whole wheat absolutely works great. Gluten-free, yes, you can. Rye flour, a great alternative for those with wheat allergies. With an afternoon of work, mostly baking, you can have an ample supply of hardtack that will last years. Start by gathering the ingredients you'll need. 2.5 cups of flour and a little extra, 1 cup of water, and 1 tablespoon of salt. You'll also need a few utensils, large mixing bowl, rolling pin, or you can improvise, and a cookie sheet. So how to make hardtack, the ultimate survival bread. Note, if you prefer to watch a video instead, skip to the end of this section. So there's a couple of videos in here. Definitely there's pictures that you'll want to check out. So mixing the ingredients. Start by mixing the flour and salt in a large bowl. 
Pro tip, this is a great time to remove any rings on your fingers. Hardtack dough is very sticky and you'll have a hard time getting your rings cleaned later. Trust me, I know. After you mix your dry ingredients well, begin adding the water in small amounts. You can mix and knead the dough by hand or with the bread hook attachment on a stand mixer. Again, it'll be extremely sticky at first but will quickly turn into a uniform dough. If it's still sticky after several minutes of kneading, add a small amount of additional flour. Once your dough forms a solid ball, dust a work surface with flour and place the dough on the floured surface. Rolling the dough. Using a rolling pin, a heavy pint glass, wine bottle, or even your hands, roll the dough out to roughly a quarter to half inch thick. Cut the dough into serving size portions. This will be easier if you form the dough into a rough square rather than a pizza crust circle. If you're not very experienced using a rolling pin, you can use pencils as guides. Just lay a pencil on either side of the dough and press down until the rolling pin is resting on the pencil. Now, rolling back and forth will give you a nice flat piece of dough. Cutting the dough. When you're happy with your dough shape, place it on a cookie sheet. Now, using a knife or a dough cutting blade, cut it into manageable cracker sized pieces. Ideally, you want them roughly the size of a saltine or graham cracker. This size is best for long-term storage and it makes a good serving size for later. I recommend a size that will still fit in a mug if you choose to soak with soup or coffee. Poking the crackers. Now, with your sheet of crackers cut to size, poke small holes spaced evenly across each piece. These holes help the biscuit bake consistently. Ideally, you want the edges and the middle of the hardtack biscuit to have a consistent bake. The holes allow more moisture to escape and keeps the dough from rising in the oven. Also, the holes make it easier to break the tough biscuit into smaller chunks later for eating. So, Baking the crackers. Now bake the dough for 25 to 35 minutes in a 375 degree oven until it just begins to brown on the surface. You're looking for a very light tan more than an actual brown. It's very easy to scorch the flour, so, so pay close attention. When you have a light tan color, take the survival biscuit out of the oven and allow it to cool completely. You want it to be 100% cool before putting it into any packages to remove as much moisture from the biscuit as possible. Any trace of excess moisture will cause your hardtack to spoil prematurely. So if you live in a relatively dry climate, feel free to leave it out for several days to dry some more before storing. Storing your hardtack. You can store dry hardtack for many months or even several years if it remains dry. Vacuum sealing or using mylar bags and desiccants will help remove moisture during storage and a solid metal container keeps rodents out. Keep the individual packages small so you only open what you need while keeping the rest safe and dry. Here's an excellent video showing just how easy it is to make a survival biscuit at home. As you can see, making hardtack is about as easy as it gets. You can even make a fun day out of it by including your kids or grandkids in the baking process. And when you're done, you'll get the amazing feeling of comfort knowing you have a nutritious bread to feed your family no matter what the future may hold. So pemmican, hardtack's meat alternative. You cannot survive long term on bread alone. Your body needs other nutrients such as protein and vitamins as well. But when it comes to long-term food storage, not just any old protein will do. 
Protein spoils rapidly without refrigeration. That's why you must learn how to make pemmican and store it properly. Pemmican is sort of like hardtack in protein form. It's a protein you can store for a lifetime without refrigeration. Now, I'm not going to deep dive into the history and all the details of pemmican here because we've already written a detailed pemmican article. But if you're interested in seeing how pemmican is made, then check out this short video. Again, there's a short video there for you. Pemmican is another survival superfood that pairs up very well with hardtack for long-term storage and survival. So this is the bonus, the Anzac biscuit recipe. While in survival mode, a meal of coffee-soaked hardtack will do to fill an empty stomach, but no meal is complete without some dessert. Anzac is another survival biscuit with a long shelf life. It was developed by the families of the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, or Anzac, during World War II. The families back home wanted to send food and treats for the troops, but it had to survive months of travel from the South Pacific to Italy where many of the soldiers were stationed. This leads to the creation of the Anzac Biscuit. Since that time, it's become a national staple in both countries with recipes approved by the government to preserve the history of the treat. Sure, Anzac Biscuits don't have as long a shelf life as hardtack. They contain both sugar and butter. However, Anzac biscuits are a great short-term addition to any survival cache, and they can be a welcome break from eating hardtack day in and day out. So how to make Anzac biscuits? Anzac biscuit ingredients, one cup each of rolled oats, sugar, and coconut, one tablespoon of golden corn syrup, three-fourths cup of flour, two tablespoons of butter, one teaspoon of baking soda dissolved in two tablespoons of boiling water. So the biscuit instructions, melt the butter, add corn syrup to dissolved soda and water, combine with melted butter, mix dry ingredients and stir in liquid, place small balls on a lightly greased cookie sheet and bake at 300 degrees for 20 minutes or until golden brown. So there you go. Now you know how to make and store a life-saving survival bread in the form of a simple biscuit known as hardtack. Pair your hardtack with some pemmican, Anzac biscuits, and bulk rice storage. You've got yourself a legitimate survival food stockpile. You can have a ton of long-term calories on a prepper-friendly budget. Now it's just a matter of taking the knowledge and applying it. Because taking action now, long before you need it, is the real secret to survival. Alright, so a good article here. And again, the just the walkthrough on how to do it. Uh, a little bit of information, the history. I always love knowing the history and why, you know, where this is coming from. But uh, you know, being able to to see the recipe, uh, the video, and then just walking through that, uh, maybe that's something that you might want to do. And again, if you are prepping on a budget and you're concerned and you want to have some long-term uh, survival food, uh, and you're not, you know, you're not ready to go out and buy a bunch of freeze-dried, uh, dehydrated, you know, uh, MREs, any of that kind of stuff. You're not ready to do the Mylar, you know, bags with food, with beans and rice and all that stuff. You can make uh, some hardtack and uh, just, you know, go for, go for it and uh, start putting it away and, and, and experiment a little bit with it and see what it's like when it dries out really, really well and see what it's like in, in a little bit of coffee or, you know, in a, in a soup, you know, and go from there. So again, that's over at skilledsurvival.com. And like always, I link to all the articles in the show notes so you can easily get to it and uh, check out all the resources there. 
All right, so every Thursday or for the Thursday podcast, I read uh, a scenario from Conflicted, the survival card game. And so this one is entitled First Moves After the EMP, What Would You Do? And so I'm going to go ahead and read this one for you here. I'll read it twice. You are alone driving out of state when all of a sudden your car dies. You realize your car died and so did everyone else's. Nobody's phones are working. You have the sinking feeling that an electromagnetic pulse went off. You are surrounded by strangers from all walks of life. Everyone has very limited resources. Would you join forces or disappear on your own? What would be your main goal after this decision? So let me read it one more time. You are alone driving out of state when all of a sudden your car dies. You realize your car died and so did everyone else's. Nobody's phones are working. You have the sinking feeling that an electromagnetic pulse went off. You are surrounded by strangers from all walks of life. Everyone has very limited resources. Would you join forces or disappear on your own? What would be your main goal after this decision? So again, here it's not just an issue of what are you going to do. It's what are your main goals here right afterwards? So uh, again, like I always say, you know, with this conflicted scenario, the idea is to not necessarily come back and say, I would never be in that situation. I never travel from home, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is, an, this is a, uh, a practice, an exercise in using, you know, your thinking skills, critical thinking skills. So if you were in this situation with what you know about preparedness and survival, and if you were in this situation, what would you do, Right. And so uh, you can think that through and just kind of process that through. Try to look at it from different perspectives. Um, if you're traveling with someone and you're listening to this, uh, to this scenario, you can talk a little bit about it. Or if you feel like you want to come share your scenario, come on over to edthatmatters.com and drop it in the comment section uh, of, this, of this article. Uh, we've, you know, we're getting a lot of comments last, uh, last uh, conflicted. We had a lot of comments as well. And so uh, feel free to come on over and, uh, and leave your comment and uh, share it with everyone on what you would do. I, I think we, we tend to learn a lot from others when we do it that way. And uh, sometimes, you know, other people have perspectives that, uh, you know, that we really weren't thinking about. And so they have a lot of insight. All right. So, guys, again, that's over at edthatmatters.com. First moves after the EMP. What would you do? Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening to episode 266. I'm glad that you are here with me and hanging out. Uh, if you are not hanging out with me on the Facebook group, I'd love for you to be able to come and do that. I have the link in the show notes, or you can come over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and link to it straight there. Or you can just go to amoreselfrelientlife.com, and that will get you there as well. Guys, don't forget about uh, the Facebook Live at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time uh, every Thursday night. Uh, I'd love for you to be there and, uh, you know, I try to come in right at eight and spend a little bit of time uh, chatting it up and then and maybe about eight, ten, go into the actual show. So hopefully you can make it and be a part of that. All right, guys, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.